0: I want to ask this question to begin, and the question is pretty simple. How do you know, how do you know if you are part of the family? Naturally speaking, it's pretty obvious. Your DNA is the same, you look the same, you think the same. My brother and I, we talk and we sound alike. We actually start using some of my dad's same sentences. It's scary. Or his old dad jokes, they come up all the time. My kid's like, where'd you get those jokes? From my dad, and he probably got them from his dad. Like, what did the guy say when he fell into three holes right in a row? Well, well, well. That's a groaner. That's a dad joke. And you get them from your dad. You carry them on. How else do you know your family? Well, you commit to each other. You sacrifice for each other. You serve each other. Even sometimes when you don't like each other, you know you're in. Sometimes there are families that have children that don't want to be a part of the family. They've had it. They leave. They disassociate, which is a tragedy. And so you could say, how do you know you're part of the family? You want to be a part of the family. How do you know you're part of God's family? Because that's not as clear. There's not the same DNA naturally speaking. We don't look like each other, we're from different cultures, but yet we're still supposed to be one. How do you know if you're part of the family? Well today our goal is to ask, number one, are you part of the family? We're going to give you three ways to tell if you are. And then number two, if you are, do you act like it? So, Let's jump into this, and I want to begin in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 46 to 50. We're actually going to be going through the whole ending section starting in 33 to 50, but 46 to 50 is going to give us the theme, and then we're going to work backwards a little bit. And the idea is, give thanks. The family's a gift, and the family of God is an amazing gift. So we're going to begin in verse 46. So while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. Let me just stop there for a second so you understand the context. Jesus is in a house speaking. And his mother, Mary, and his brothers show up outside the house. Number one, where is Joseph, scholars think by this time, Joseph probably passed away. He's probably older when he married Mary. So yes, this is Mary, who was the mother of Jesus in Bethlehem, same lady. And then it says his brothers. Some traditions don't teach that he had actual brothers. But in the Bible, in the New Testament, you have the book of James and the book of Jude. Those are two of Jesus' natural brothers what you're going to see, they were outside of the house because the book of John said when Jesus first started his public ministry, his brothers thought he was crazy. They didn't like it. They wanted him to be quiet. So that's sort of the context of what's happening. So verse 48. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brother's? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's talking about a family, but it's not a natural family, it's a different kind of family, a spiritual family. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you become a part of this family? How do you become one of Jesus' brothers? sisters, mother, daughter. Before we go anywhere, I want to start with a foundation. I believe to understand the Bible because verses 33 through 45 are going to be very confusing. And sometimes we we try to establish doctrine on confusing verses and you shouldn't do that. You establish doctrine on very clear verses Use them as the foundation stone so you can then interpret confusing verses. It's called hermeneutics or biblical interpretation. Always interpret the confusing by the clear. And when it comes to being part of Jesus' family, John 1 is to me a foundation stone. It's clear. When it talks about salvation, I want you to take a look at it. John 1, chapter 1. And you'll see how Matthew will make, make, bring to light what's going on in Matthew. So in John 1, starting in verse 11, it's an overview of Jesus' life. And it begins by saying, he came to his own. Jesus came to the Jews. And yet his own people did not receive him. So the people from his own community, from the Jewish nation, they didn't want him. So when he came to earth, he first came as the Messiah. That's the king of all of the Jewish scriptures. And they rejected him. So then it begins in verse 12 says this. But to all who did receive him, what does it mean to receive him? Who believed in his name. So that phrase, believed in his name, means I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to be loyal. I want to be in him. I want to be dedicated. I want to be his. So believed in his name and then it says them he gave the right the authority, the ability to become children of God. That's where we get the idea of being born again. So when I believe in Jesus, here's what happens. When I believe that he actually came to earth as the Messiah to fulfill all Old Testament prophecy, was killed for me, and rose from the dead, and I believe that, and I accept it, and I'm loyal to that, God sends his Holy Spirit who dwells in me. And that's called being born again. I'm a new child. I'm now part of the family. That's why it says... In verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. That means not natural descent. You're not part of God's family because you're born into the right house. Nor of the will of the flesh. That is the right things or acting the right way. For instance, you're not part of God's family because you're in the right church or the right denomination or you wear the right clothes. Nor the will of man. Some people will think that's referring to even circumcision or baby, baptism. You're not in because of the will. Somebody wanted to do that for you. Then what makes me a child of God? You're born of God. The Holy Spirit comes into you and you're a born again believer. So this is what I'd call a foundation stone of salvation. Anything else that goes against it, like, oh, you can become a Christian by working hard or doing a commandment, it flies up in the face of something that is very clear. So now if we go to Matthew 12 and use this as a foundation stone, it will start to make sense. And so the first thing we're going to look at is Jesus has been talking with the Pharisees. We saw that really from verses 22 to 32. The Pharisees are the rulers, they're religious The Pharisees wear these religious things called phylacteries that have scripture on these squares that they wear in their head. They wear covers over their head. They wear these long gowns. They let their hair curl on the side. they got tassels that go down and they walk around very piously. They probably talk like this. You've probably been to churches. I, I grew up in a church where you don't say God from the pulpit. You say God. They believe in God. Some churches do the same kind of stuff with them. You know, they'll say, say Jesus. And they hip and hop. and They say, bless the Lord. <laughs> you know, they, they act like that. But then when they're down here, they say, hi, how you doing? And then they walk up here. And right here, you can feel the transformation. And they become really pious. And they walk around. Or they say God in a very pious manner. And they. So the Pharisees were those kind of guys. They thought you are a part of God's family because you look the part. You know, there's a lot of people that think they're part of God's family because they go to church on Sunday. You probably heard the old bromide. It goes like this. Just because I'm in a garage, it doesn't make me a car. Just because I'm in a church, it doesn't make me a Christian the difference between profession and possession. Profession is I can say it. Possession is I have it. And that's the first part. How do you know you're part of the family? Well, you have life from the inside that springs out from the outside. Look what Jesus says in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He said, you brood of vipers, meaning you're no good snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus is using an analogy. He uses this in a number of places. He says either the tree is good or it's bad. He's talking about the inside. So look at it like this. So I take it on Ridge. I bring it to an orchard. I'll bring it to an orchard in September, October. It's easy to tell what kind of tree it is. Nice big red apples, so you know it's an apple tree. But if I go there now, tree looks the same. How do you know? What if, I, what if I take some oranges and some duct tape, and I duct tape oranges on the tree? Does it instantly become an orange tree? And you're like, no, it's an apple tree. How do you know it's an apple tree? Because eventually, fruit will be apparent. The Pharisees would duct tape oranges to themselves, thinking they're holy. There's a lot of Christians that do the same thing. But how do you know you are good? Out of you will come good fruits. So he's speaking specifically to the Pharisees, and he talks to them, and he says, you are evil. How do I know you're evil? Because your fruit's evil. Look what he says in 35. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. The reason he's saying this is last week, we looked at the scriptures, the Pharisees called Jesus the devil. I mean, they blaspheme God. With their words, it was apparent how they felt about God. They hated Him. They can look the part. They can have the apples all taped on their arms. But man, out of their mouth comes what, the, what they had inside. So one of the questions I have for you is when you are with your buddies, or let's say you're in the deer blind with your friends, or at the deer cabin, or with the ladies at you know, a nice restaurant who are your friends, what do you talk about? I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about when nobody's watching. What comes out? Because what comes out is what has been inside. Proverbs says, specifically when it comes to words, there's words of life and words of death. I would call the words of life are pretty simple. I call them the three E's. A person who is full of life encourages other people. They speak life into other people. They try to build them up. Words of life are also empathy. They care about the other person's hurts and needs. There's also what I would say, exhortation. They speak truth. So if somebody's going wrong, they'll say, here's what Scripture says. Those are words of life. But in Proverbs, there's words of death. I call them orals, O-R-A-L-S, obscenities. Like you just say the Lord's name in vain like it's just water coming out of a faucet. Running of the mouth, R, is just, says a fool, delights in airing his own opinions, as if they just keep coming and coming and coming. What it says is I really don't care about the person I'm with, I care about what I think. Anger, A, L is lying, and S is slander and gossip about other people. So the question is, what is stored in there? And you can tell by what comes out of here. Also, there's other fruit in Galatians 5. There's the fruit of the flesh, anger, hatred, violence, riots, quarreling. But there's also fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self control. So, what kind of fruit do you have? That's the first way you can tell if you're part of the family. Second way, we find it here in verses 38 and 39. So then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. You've got to say, wait a second, wait a second. They want to see a sign? If you just read chapter 12, he just healed a man who had a withered hand. He's talking to the same people. Isn't that enough? Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw you heal that guy at the withered hand, but I want to see some more. Are you really the real deal? Come on, perform for me. Give me a show. Do some magic. I'd say this. Family, like real family, they don't need a show to stay. We we live in a church culture where churches are competing with each other. To see who can do more things. Who has has the worship that makes you cry more? Or who can heal more? Or who can do more shows? Or who's got more events? Because if you don't entertain me, I'm not staying. But family stays. It's funny because when you're not part of family, you... We'll go over to somebody's house, and if you go over to somebody's house and it's kind of boring there, they're weird, or their dinner's kind of, I'm not going over there again. Sometimes the way you can tell that you are part of God's family is you stay in the church even when they don't have something that you like that's being offered. I had a sister named Laura. She's 61 years old. I've told you this story a hundred times. But to me, it relates to me because I'm part of a big family. But my sister Laura needs help. My mom has to change her diapers every day. They have have to manually feed her breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My sister screams in the weirdest of times. She slobbers all the time. She rocks back and forth. She needs help. Growing up, my mom worked full time. So in the summer, my sister Stephanie and I, when my sister Laura wouldn't go to school, my sister Stephanie and I had to trade off days to watch her over the summers and I hated it, like I hated it. I was 17 years old, I had the body like a god, I was bronze. I don't want to stay home taking care of my sister, I'm going to go out to the beach. Beach was two blocks away, I want to go to the pool and do dives and I'd say, Mom, I don't want to watch Lara. My dad would say, too bad. Shut your mouth, too bad. So you know what I'd do, I'd take care of Lara and I'd wheel her out sometimes outside and then I'd wheel her to the kitchen and then I always made her hot dogs in the microwave, I'd cut up those hot dogs, I'd give her slices of apples, and, and she would slobber like crazy, but sometimes when I'd give her that hot dog she'd bite my finger and I'd say, Laura, quit bite my finger, I'd be so mad. I'd tell my mom and dad, she keeps keep biting my fingers. My dad said, that's good, when you're a kid, you bit my fingers all the time, you deserve that. But I had to take care of my sister Because she was my sister and it wasn't fun. I didn't need the show to be a part of my family because I'm part of the family. I'm just part of the family. Even if it's boring. Some people are what I'd say Christer Christians, Christmas and Easter. Some people are Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon Christians who still pray and seek God even when it's boring. Then Jesus says, okay, okay, I will give you a miracle. I will. I'll give you one miracle. So he talks about here in verses 40, well we can start in 39, he goes, but he answered him, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it, except I'll give you one sign. So here's one miracle. And the reason he's going to give this miracle is this is the only miracle that matters because it gives life to the dead heart. You can heal somebody and they're still dead. You can give somebody gold teeth. Doesn't necessarily mean they're saved, but there is one miracle, one miracle that brings life to the dead or makes somebody that wasn't part of the family into a son or daughter of God. And it's right here, verse 40. and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater in Solomon's here. Here is the miracle. He said, okay. He's talking to the Pharisees. He goes, remember the story of Jonah and the whale. So Jonah was told to go preach to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it, God. You can't make me. So he gets on a boat to take off. In the boat, there's a storm. And the guys on the boat said, Man, we're going to die. And one guy said, it's Jonah. Throw him over. So they threw Jonah over, and a fish came and grabbed him and went to his belly for three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights, he was spit up on the shore by Nineveh, and he went and he said, I have to do it now. And he preached repentance, and the Ninevites all repented. Jesus says that is the miracle. What miracle? Well, he says it. Look in verse 40. Verse 40. So, so he's saying this is an analogy of Jesus being three days in the heart of the earth. Jesus died on the cross. In the same way Jonah did not want to go, he was not submissive to the will of the Father. God made him submissive. Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father on our behalf because we're not submissive. Sin makes us want to do our own thing. We don't want to behave. We don't want to follow God. And so Jesus went to the cross, submitting to the will of the Father. said, not my will, God, but yours be done. Then he died. He was in the belly of the earth for three days. And then when he came out, he preached repentance. Change your life. How do you know you're a child? You used to have oranges, and now you got apples. You're different. You change. Where once you didn't want to do the will of God, you want to be like, Joan, I don't want to submit. Jesus died for you, and now your heart has changed, and I want to do the will of God, and fruit comes out. That's the miracle. He goes on to say, and this is a, watch how weird this is, but it will make sense in context. So verse 43 says, when the unclean spirit has gone out, so that's a demon, when a demon has gauze out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none, as if demons are floating around the air looking for a body to dwell in. Then it says, you know, I couldn't find a body, I'll return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation? What is he talking about? That's weird. So a demon leaves me. I Supposedly, here's the idea. I repent. I'm going to do the truth. And then I don't. It's all lip service. It's all profession. I really haven't changed. I don't possess the Spirit of God. So I try by sheer willpower to be good, but I'm not really good because I haven't really submitted and repented. And so what happens is that demon comes back and says, hey, look, he hasn't changed, and it's more clean. Let me bring some of my buddies. And the person's worse than they were when they first swept clean. Why are they worse? It's very clear. When you're given the truth and you don't live by the truth, you think you believe the truth, so then you won't listen to the truth anymore. And you actually are ready for delusions. That's why if you ever notice most of the atheists and most of what I would say the false teachers claim to first come from the church. They probably came from a church that was work-oriented. They swept the house clean, but it didn't change them. So, we have one more way you can tell you're part of the family. The first way is you have fruit. You have fruit. second way you can tell is you will stay even when you have no show. You'll serve others. And the third way is pretty awesome. It's what we read. You want to please your dad. Verse 46, when he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood aside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who's my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. And my mother, the key phrase is whoever does the will. The idea in the Greek is whoever wants to please dad. Whoever wants to please dad. It is my, it is my personal belief. Deep down, naturally speaking, all of us want to know two things. Does my dad like me? And two, do I do things that please him? If you want to get get in a good conversation with somebody, like if you want to go deep fast, I've noticed this. It's kind of crazy how deep you can go with somebody if you ask them this simple question. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. If you have a good relationship with your dad, the person will tell you all kinds of things. If it's bad, you'll instantly see anger, frustration, There's something about a human being has been designed to want to please dad. When you're a bad dad, that's why kids are really scarred these days. But when you have a good dad, that good dad breathes life into a kid, especially if they know they're pleasing to their dad. In the same way, When the Spirit of God takes up residence, it says in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit will cause you to cry, Abba, Father, to God. He's my dad. That's what that means. He's my dad. And you'll want to do the will of the Father. How do you know you're his kid? You will want to know what makes God mad, sad, and glad. When when I was a kid and I grew up in my house, I knew what made my dad mad. Oh, I knew what made him mad. And I did not want to do those things that made my dad mad. My sister Gina had no problem making my dad mad with those things. Whenever she made my dad mad, I would run up to my room and close the door because I hated to see my dad mad. Hated it. But I know what made my dad glad. My dad loved going walking with the dog out in the woods just throwing sticks and talking. He loved it. And so whenever he said, hey, you want to go for a walk? I said, absolutely, because I like to make him glad. I know what made him sad. It's a number of things that made my dad sad. In the same way, do you know what makes the Heavenly Father mad, sad, and glad? That's why he gives you this. It's very clear. He doesn't hide his heart from us. Sin makes him mad. It's rebellion. Do you want to know why sin makes them mad? I, I think people get this wrong. I just, I'll tell you why sin makes them mad. As a good father, and I'm just telling you this with my kids, I want, I have like a vision of the future for my children and I want them to succeed. And when they don't want to do that plan sometimes I'm really mad because, especially when they make decisions that destroy that, do you know what you could have had? That's what sin does. It destroys the vision the Father has for you in the future. And he's mad because he doesn't want you to have that. You know what makes him glad? Trusting him. Obeying him, even if you don't understand why. Because if he loves you, don't you think he wants your life to be good? So when he asks you to do something, it's not because he wants to hurt you. And what makes them sad is, I think, brokenness makes them sad. How we treat our brothers and sisters makes them sad. I will say this. I want to end on this. God's family is an amazing gift. Being part of his family. And I think what has happened over what I would even say through COVID, there's a lot of articles that come out that are called people that are done with church. All kind of people. I'm just done with church. I've had it. I've had it. So what they do is they leave. They quit. They think they can just go on their own. There's a story about a man who decided to go on his own, leave church, and be done with it. The pastor was really worried about him. He came to the guy's house, and the guy said, I know, Pastor, you're going to lecture me. I don't want to hear it. Pastor didn't say anything. They just sat next to the fire, and the pastor just thought for a second. Grabbed some fire tongs, put them in the fireplace, grabbed a hot coal that was bright orange. Grabbed that hot coal, pulled it out of the fire, and put it right next to the fireplace. And they just watched it. Smoke started kind of circling up from that fire coal, and it went from a glowing orange to a light yellow to a black charred piece of coal. Pastor got up and said, have a good day. And the man looked at him and said, thanks for the sermon. You'll see me next week. But the point's clear. The church is meant to encourage you, to support you. In the last three weeks, we've had three major deaths in this church. And the way that the church responds to the people who lose somebody is incredible. The church is like no other. We've had a lot of sick people in our church. And if you talk to some of those families, they will say, I can't tell you how many meals, help, service has been done because of the church church is amazing. Here's the reason why you don't hear much from the church, because Jesus does have a principle. It goes like this. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. So what happens is we don't trumpet our goodness. And so the world's like, oh, the church doesn't do anything. You should see it from my angle. You won't believe what the church does. You really won't. Right, Mary? It's kind of overwhelming. I see you smiling because you know. It's kind of overwhelming. God's family is a gift. I want to close with a little three things about family that are from my heart. I, I came from a big family, but just in general. Number one, I would say this. My family drives me crazy. Absolutely crazy. Growing up with my family, I don't know if there's more people that ever made me more angry than my sisters. Seriously. My brother was a weird one, but My family was crazy. My sisters would always laugh at my hair. They'd argue with me at the table. They'd call me Little Chrissy around my friends. It made me crazy. I didn't like it. There's times I ran away from home, a couple. I can remember my sister stuff saying, all right, you're going to run away from home? That just gives me more pizza, pizza time, you know? No sympathy. They were always rude to me sometimes growing up. But I'll tell you what, I've never known people have loved me more. I can call my brother. I haven't talked to him in months. And it's like I just got done talking to him. I've got this, uh, do you guys ever get on those where you're texting and you have everybody on your family is texting and all of a sudden your phone starts blowing up in the middle of an important meeting and there are all these stupid pictures of grandkids and nephews and nieces and then dumb Um, emojis, and you know, like, oh man, I'm on another family blow-up session, you know, and my mom's texting, but you get hundreds of them, you know. The family, there's something about your family just wants to connect. Third thing about my family is they are a part of me. They always will be. They're part of me. I think the church is identical to this. The church will be full of people that will drive you crazy. Sometimes they say things that make you mad, like really mad. But you're family, aren't you? Can you forgive? I think where people who are done with church go wrong is somebody said something bad to me or looked bad with me and I'm out. I'm done. Maybe they were telling you the truth. Yeah, but it hurt me. You know how many times my sisters hurt me over the year? Second thing is, I would say when you're really around the people of God that have the Spirit of God in them, you will find people who really love you. They really do. You can call them up at any time. They will show up, even if they haven't talked to you in months, and they know something's wrong, they'll say, hey, what what do you need? But I'd say the third thing about the church is there to be a part of me. We're going to be with each other for all eternity. We are Christ's body. It's how he designed it. I want to show you one verse and then we'll close. So, Missy, if you want to come on up. It's Ephesians 3.10. This is one of the verses, I don't know if I've fully plumbed the depths of what it means, but it's Ephesians 3.10. He says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, manifold means many colored, the genius of God. So, through the church, the genius, or the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does that mean? So, the genius or the manifold or multicolored wisdom of God will be known to angels and demons. They care about us? Oh, yeah. They're watching us? Oh, yeah. Oh, they don't exist. Then you don't believe the Bible. And it says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So before he made anything, he thought of the church in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. It's a gift to be part of a family. And we need to thank God.